Philippians chapter four. We only have one more week after this week in this amazing book of the Bible. Uh, and, and as we start, I just wanna say something again about the worship and prayer night that's on Wednesday night. Uh, I've just been, I've been in the book of Acts and over and over and over again in Acts, you see that God shows up and he does a miraculous work in his people and through his people when his people are devoted to prayer. And so for us, that's important to us as a local church. And so Wednesday night is just an opportunity for us to get together, worship together, and seek the face of the Lord in prayer. So I hope if you, if you can that, you will, that you'll come and do that. Uh, this one was hard for me this week. Um, I had some work to do in my own soul uh, for this one. So here we go. You ready? Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 10 through 13. Uh, we live in a discontent world. Like we, we are naturally inclined to, bent to be discontent people because of our sinful nature. Uh, and so I think it's important that we start right at the beginning here and just say this. Discontentment is sin. It's wrong. See, we say that we worship a great, good, sovereign, loving God. But then often we live our lives like it's not true. We, we doubt that God has provided in Christ everything that we could ever need or desire. We doubt that he is sovereignly working in everything and through everything for his glory and for our good. And we want more. And we think somehow that he is holding out on us. Right? This goes all the way back to Genesis chapter three. You can eat of every tree that's in the garden except this one. Oh, I don't want that one. Like, that's the one I actually want, Lord, but not that one. Every tree but it. And the, the enemy wants to, and he will exploit that in our lives. And he will bombard us, and he does, minute by minute, with messages designed to kindle our discontentment. Uh, you need a better car, Nate. I was so thankful, by the way, for my little Nissan until I watched that Super Bowl commercial with the Jeep where it was like just randomly driving across the creek with like a happy family in the back seat. And all of a sudden I'm like, I want to drive across the random creek with my car and have a ha happy family in the back seat. That sounds like fun. Oh, I don't like my Nissan anymore. And, and the thing is, the thing is, I know myself too. Like, I'd have the Jeep, and then I'd be like, ah, they've got bigger tires on theirs than I do. Like, I want a winch on the front of mine. I want the heated seats, because I, I need to be warm while I'm driving across the random creek. Maybe for you, it's just one more, one more digital friendship. I just need to know what one more person in the world is doing right now at this moment and so just five minutes five more minutes of scrolling maybe it's just one more promotion just a few more investments just one more tv episode just one more iphone upgrade now we're getting close 
just one more trendy outfit, one more house, one more vacation, and then I'll be happy, then I'll be content, just one more. This is so bad in my family's life right now that we actually, we actually only do grocery pickup. And here's why we only do grocery pickup, because we don't have the self-discipline to actually walk in the store and stick to our budget. We know it's, we're gonna blow it out of the water because Walmart is amazing, or what I hear from a lot of you, Costco is amazing. Right? You go in there and it's just everywhere. It's like, what? They triple stuff Oreos? I've gotta have these things. I gotta try them, budget gone. What, 99 cent flip-flops? I mean, I have seven pairs, but who can have enough flip-flops? Just one more pair. And on and on and on and on it goes till we find ourselves living our lives just for the next thing, the next fix. Today, if you haven't figured it out by now, we're gonna be talking about contentment, contentment. Uh, this word has the idea of enough or satisfied. Uh, Paul's been, been coming at this from all different angles so far in the, in the book of the Philippians. Uh, pastors, we joke sometimes that we really only have one thing to say and we just spend our lives as pastors trying to find different ways to say it. That's what, that's what Paul is doing. He's been saying, approve what is excellent. Rejoice in the Lord, have fullness of joy, have a peace that surpasses all understanding, and now contentment. Through all of these angles, Paul is calling us to be satisfied with all that God is for us in Jesus Christ. Living our lives, rejoicing in the one thing, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's jump into this. Uh, Philippians chapter four, verse 10, it says this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. What's, what's he saying here? Paul's rejoicing that God has worked through the church at Philippi. Like they've, they've finally had an opportunity to demonstrate their concern for him and to send him support. Uh, one of the main reasons, if you remember, that Paul wrote this letter was to express his, his gratitude to this church for their generosity in sending him a gift through Epaphroditus. They probably sent him material support like clothing, daily necessities, the different things. And he's like, I rejoice in that. But look down at this again. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you've revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need. Like, what? What are you talking about, Paul? He's like, yeah, thank you. Thank you for being concerned for me. Thank you for sending this gift, but I'm not actually in need. And I read this at first and I'm like, well, hold on, Paul, of course there's a need. If there wasn't a need, they wouldn't be concerned about you and they wouldn't have actually sent you anything. There's, there's a great need. If they don't send you support, then you're not gonna have what you actually need in prison to survive. So why does Paul say this? 
He says this because he wants them to know that he is content regardless of the gift or not. He's like, thank you for sending me the gift, but I don't need it. What do you need on a daily basis to be content? What is one thing that if you really honestly looked at your life, you're not sure that you could live without it? Maybe it's a possession. Maybe it's something as silly as your, as your morning coffee or coffees. Maybe on a more serious note, it's a person. Paul here is saying, I don't need anything. Thanks for the help. Thanks for your concern for me, but I just, I need you church to know I don't need it. Why? The reason why is because he says, I've learned a secret. Look at this, verse 11. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He says, I have learned. Learned there to me is super significant because if you have to learn something, it means it doesn't actually come naturally to you. And for me, hopefully for you, it's really hopeful that it's something that you get to learn. That means that it's not just some switch that you're supposed to flip and voila, I'm, I'm content. It's a process that takes place in your life as Christ works in you. Even, even the apostle Paul had to learn it because it's something that the Lord teaches us as we walk with him through life. He says, I have learned it. This, this word learned has the idea I've come to realize something from experience. So he's saying in this life, Christ has schooled him in contentment. Uh, growing up, I loved to learn. I loved to learn. And I remember I read as much as I possibly could. And I, I even had this one big, huge book of bugs that I would carry around. And it was every bug that existed and all of the scientific facts about it. And I just carried around and just read it. And it was amazing. But I didn't do well at school. I hated school. The classroom, I had too much energy for the classroom. I didn't learn well in a classroom environment. And so I struggled a lot in school, even though I loved to learn. Now, thankfully, my parents didn't let me drop out of school. They realized that I need more than Hardy Boys and Bug Books to actually make it in life. We learn stuff in school that we actually need to sustain us through life. There's things that you, you need to learn, but you don't want to learn them, but they're necessary for you. Paul learned contentment by being brought low and by being in abundance. I don't know about you, but as I think about it, I'm like, I'll choose the school of abundance, please. Not the brought low, but Paul learned contentment by walking with the Lord through different and often difficult circumstances. Remember again, he's in prison. As far as he knows, possibly facing 
execution. Boy, we want contentment, don't we? But we don't want to go to the school of suffering to learn it. Verse 12, he says, I know. I know that word. I am acquainted with being brought low and abounding. I'm acquainted with plenty and hunger. I know how to live in abundance and need. Here he's, he's not saying that he's just experienced life at either end of the abundance and need spectrum. He's saying here that he actually knows how to live content in any of those circumstances at either end of those spectrums. Have you ever noticed that the hardest place to be is always in my particular situation as opposed to yours? Like the most difficult place to be in our minds is typically where I'm sitting in this circumstance, not where you're sitting. Those who are abundant are like, man, those, those poor people just don't know how hard it is to be rich, how hard it is to sustain this, how hard it is to achieve this, how hard it is not to get sucked into this. And those that are in the need category say, yes, yeah, as every rich person ever, who doesn't have to worry about how to pay their next bill that's coming in. Wherever we find ourselves, whether it's in a place of plenty, hunger, whether it's in a particular moment of being brought low or abounding, there's a temptation to believe that our current situation is the most difficult situation to be content in. But here's the fact. There are temptations no matter what our circumstances. If you find yourself in that place of abundance, of plenty, we're tempted to rely on our own self-sufficiency and not on Christ. We're tempted to think that somehow all of this success is a product of my ingenuity, my hard work, my skill. And we forget that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from the Father. Amen. We're tempted to be unsatisfied and just keep looking for the next thing, the next dollar, the next trip, the next accomplishment, the next hobby, the next conquest. What if it was all gone? The success, the health, the money. What then? Would you still walk with Jesus? Would you be content? On the other end of the spectrum are those of us who find ourselves maybe now in a place of need, a place where we are being brought low, a place of hunger. In that place, we can be tempted to think that the grass is always greener on the other side of this need. If I just had a job, if I just had a better job, if I just had my health, if I just had insurance, if I just had kids that obeyed me, if I just had a working washer and dryer, if I just had a car that didn't backfire at every single stoplight, if I just had a house, if I just had a new relationship, what if you had that? What if God graciously gave that to you right now? 
What then? Would you be content? Would you just want more? Paul says here, I know I have learned in what? In whatever situation to be content. His contentment here, it's, it's not attached to or dependent on or, or rooted in his circumstances. Remember, he's, saying, he's not saying here, I know how to get out of brought low or I know how to continue to abound. He's saying, I know in whatever situation I find myself to be content, I have learned the secret. And I love, I love how Paul has this secret. It's like, it's a secret, but it's, it's not a secret because he's not gonna keep it quiet. It's kind of like a child that leans over and tells you a secret, but it, everybody can hear it. They're like, hey dad, I've got a secret. And you're like, yeah, we know, everybody knows. That's Paul. I've got a secret. What's that secret? Look down at verse 12 again. I know. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty, hunger, abundance, and need. What's that secret, Paul? Tell us the secret. Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul says, the secret is this. I can face all circumstances in this life. I can face hunger. I can face plenty. I can face abundance. I can face need. How? Through Jesus. I can do all things through the one who strengthens me. He is enough. He is my contentment. Uh, Chapter four, verse 13, this verse, like, it's a great tattoo verse, isn't it? Like you're gonna get a tattoo, like this is probably one of the ones, I've heard it called a pull-up verse. You're like Christian athletes, you know, I, I haven't done a pull-up, you know, in 20 years, even when I could do pull-ups, I could only get about five of them, but I'm gonna get 10, I can do all things through him, it strengthens me, here we go. I'm gonna do it. You know, you've got John 3, 16, stripe under this eye and Philippians 4, 13 under this eye. We've gotta read this, vo this verse in the context that it's in here, okay? This is not Paul saying, when empowered by Christ, nothing is beyond my capabilities. It's not it. What Paul is saying is that he can do anything specifically he can endure any circumstance that God has sovereignly assigned to him through the one who gives him strength. The secret to Paul's contentment and the secret to ours is Christ. Dependence on him, satisfaction in him, power from him and presence with him. Paul's secret was found in possessing the greatest treasure. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, it says this, the kingdom of heaven, the uh, kingdom of heaven is the, the reign and the rule of Jesus Christ, right? his, his salvific rule in the world now and later. 
The kingdom of heaven is like, it's like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and, and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. Think about that for a moment. Imagine you go outside, you find this little piece of land and on that land, you find a treasure of infinite value. And you're like, I gotta get this land. And so you go back and you're like, I'm selling my cars. I'm selling my house. I'm selling all my stuff. I'm quitting my job. People are like, you're crazy. What are you doing? And you're like, I'm buying that little piece of land right over there. Like with nothing on it. Like, yep, nothing on it. I've got it. And they're like, that makes no sense. You're right, it doesn't make sense. Except you don't know what's buried on that land. On that land is the greatest treasure that I've ever seen. And it far surpasses anything that I currently possess in this life. It's valuable beyond all comparison. That treasure is Christ. If we value Jesus more than anything, we can lose everything else in this life and we will not have lost the source of our contentment. And with Paul, we can count it all as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, pastor Paul Tripp, he's a pastor, counselor, writer, he said this, the contented heart is satisfied with the giver and therefore it's freed from craving the next gift. But how? How? Like, that's easier said than done, Nate. Eh? What do I do when the doctor says, I don't know what's wrong with you. It's gonna take some time, it's gonna take some more tests and I can't promise you that we'll ever know. What do you do when another bill shows up in the mail and you have no idea how you're gonna pay it? What do you do when your neighbor is doing more amazing upgrades to their house one more time? And they're not even doing it themselves this time, they're having it done for them while they're away on another trip. What do you do when you hate the job that you go to every single day? What do you do when your friends all go off to college and you don't get to? How do I cultivate a contented heart daily in the midst of that? Two ways, two ways. They're both R's that'll help us remember. <laughs> the first is, is, is by doing this, we repent. You're like, oh, thanks Nate, that's super encouraging. <laughs> but it's, it's essential because see, we need to repent of, of the discontentment in us that demonstrates our lack of trust in God. Our discontentment actually scoffs at God's goodness and his grace and his provision in our life. It scoffs at his infinite value. And we've gotta repent 
repent of it, to place ourselves in a, in a properly humble and, and dependent posture of trust before him where we can actually begin to learn what it means to be content in every circumstance. We repent. The second thing we do is this. We remind ourselves where our contentment is truly found in the midst of an unsatisfied world. And see, this takes some work to repent and remind because not all of the things that I've mentioned that we're discontent with are bad things. There are things, many of them, that God's given us as a good gift to even enjoy, but we gotta do some work in our lives by God's grace to see if we're enjoying those things as an overflow of being content in him or if we're enjoying those things because we're seeking to find our satisfaction in them. And we've gotta remind ourselves where contentment is ultimately found. Uh, last week, we skipped uh, a verse in this passage, chapter four, verse eight. Uh, around here, you'll hear us say a lot, rehearse the gospel to yourself. Rehearse the gospel to yourself. Rehearse the gospel to each other, okay? And, and I wanna make sure, like, as we do that, sometimes when we say things over and over again, they can become kind of Christian cliche, just things we say, but we don't actually know what it means. I think chapter four, verse eight, is the definition of what it means to rehearse the gospel to yourself. Look at, look at this verse. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What is pure, what is honorable, what is lovely, what is excellent, worthy of praise. Think about this, meditate on this, remind yourself and remind others in this faith family particularly about these things. Rehearse the good news about Jesus to yourself. Think about him. Meditate on who he is and, and what he has done and his promises and his truth and his word. This is what will endure you through this life. Celebrity feel-good quotes will not sustain you through the difficulties of this life. The Supreme Court is never gonna deliver perfect justice. Politicians won't keep their promises. Netflix is not gonna hold out to you what is most lovely and pure and honorable. We have to repeat the truth of the gospel to ourselves every single day so that we remember whose strength actually sustains us in this life. He is just, he keeps all of his promises. He is the true king. He is with us. He is what's most valuable and lovely and worthy of all of our contentment.
Where are you looking for contentment in this life? And take a minute and ask the Lord to help you with that question. And really look, dig through the layers and say, what am I wanting to be content? Jesus is the source and he is the strength for our daily contentment. We can be content. It is possible by God's grace to be content regardless of our circumstances when we value our Savior more than anything. When we cling to him as our greatest treasure and when like Paul, we seek knowing him and enjoying him and trusting him as the only true ultimate source of our satisfaction, not only in this life, but for all of eternity. I know I've learned it. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and in every circumstance, I've learned the secret, facing plenty, hunger, abundance, and need. I can do all these things through him who strengthens me. Father, Forgive us Forgive us for looking for satisfaction, Lord, in such trivial things. Like we are we're so weak when it comes to this. We the next shiny thing just grabs our attention and we obsess over it until we can get it. And we need your help to not chase after all of the unsatisfying, trivial banality in this world, Lord. But to realize the surpassing worth of knowing you and to spend ourselves seeking our contentment in you and you alone. Or this, you and your sovereignty in this sin-cursed world allow, allow some pretty significant brought low moments in our lives. I'm just being honest myself, and I think many here would say with me that I would rather not learn contentment in those situations. Help us to realize that no matter how low 
our particular circumstances are, Lord, that you are enough. And it's not some flippant thing to say that you are the source of our strength and our contentment to endure the most difficult of circumstances. You are, Lord. Help us to recognize. It's only, it's only if we can truly get a glimpse of your grandeur and your sovereignty and your beauty that we will ever be able to be content in some of the horrific situations that we find ourselves in in this life, Lord. So would you help us to see, pull back the veil over our eyes, Lord, that's keeping us from seeing the surpassing worth of Christ Jesus so that we can see how even in the most difficult of circumstances, you are enough our strength, Lord, to endure this situation is found in our union with you. Help us. Help us to know you deeper and deeper and deeper and to rejoice at all that you are for us in Jesus Christ. Oh, we love you in your precious name. Amen.